A leader today needs to learn to be okay with trying and not having a guaranteed outcome. Learning that they might put their best effort forward and not make it, not achieve, not do whatever the thing is that they wanted to. And what I see from my lens is a fear of even trying or starting something versus just going for it. I would encourage people to fail and fail again and fail one more time. And so I think for those who are wanting to do this type of work and they feel like there is a set path, I would like to be the first to say there isn't one. There is no right way to navigate this space and there's no wrong way to navigate this space. Welcome to Between the Guidelines. This is a podcast for outdoor leaders who are interested in the interpersonal. On this show, you'll hear the stories of incredible outdoor professionals, who they are, how they're making a difference, and how you can too. I'm your host, Ben Wright, and as an outdoor professional with a decade of experience guiding, teaching, and leading others, I'm here to give you the knowledge I've gained along the way. Thank you for tuning in and walking between the guidelines with me today. Jeanette Stosky serves as Executive Director for the Association of Outdoor Recreation and Education, also known as AOR. She is a Certified Association Executive, a Certified Executive Coach. She was the Director of Outdoor Adventures at the University of Michigan for 11 years and has worked as a professional outdoor guide, a wilderness medicine instructor, and a Knowles instructor. She is currently the Chair of the Coalition of Outdoor Access, and lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with her husband and their two children. Wow. (laughs) Now, in addition to all of this, you've gone all over the world. You've spoken about leadership. You're a leadership coach. You're writing a book, and it's coming out, I believe, in March. That's correct. And to top it off, you are now a guest on Between the Guidelines. <laughs> Which means I've, I've done it. I've arrived. And thank you. This is incredible. Well, uh, to start out, just thank you so much for being on the show. Again, it is such a pleasure to talk with you. If people aren't familiar with you, would you give a little introduction to yourself? What should people know? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeanette Stosky, and uh, I know we've kind of hit some of the high notes here, but I'm calling in uh, today from Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, and I have been the executive director for the Association of Outdoor Recreation Education, I guess going on my 13th year, and I have spent uh, the majority of my life working and championing for the advancement of the outdoor profession, and that for me is essentially thinking that I have been a beneficiary from, from being outside and time outside, and I think that everyone should have that opportunity, and I want to make sure that the people who are inviting people into outdoor spaces can be the best at their work. So I love this work. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other highlights here, but uh, that's a little bit um, professional about me. I'm married. I have two kids. Uh, Their names are Gretel and Thor. They have red hair and they're just really good people. Uh, So I spend my time trying to do the work and trying to uh, be a good parent and a good partner. And I like to adventure travel. I like to open water swim are some of the highlights. Love it. I love it. How did you first get into outdoor recreation just for personal enjoyment? Yeah, that's a great question. So I grew up on the west side of Michigan in a city called Grand Rapids, um, and I have three brothers and uh, mom and dad, and and we would go uh, camping. My mom did not really enjoy camping, but my father uh, did very much so, and um, I really liked spending a lot of time with my dad, and so 
would start to kind of recreate in that way. Uh, and then just trying to keep up with my siblings, again, having the brothers and I was really involved with the YMCA camp. That's actually was my, I guess, portal to outdoor activities hmm. was being a camper uh, and having the chance to do that in the summers. And then um, like my father, I actually then worked at that same camp. And um, and so I attribute all of my outdoor pursuits kind of back to that camp days and, you know, probably time with the Girl Scouts and just little exposures here and there. That's awesome. I was a, a Boy Scout, went to a summer camp. Once I was old enough, started working at that summer camp. So I love sort of the unique similarities that I hear amongst a lot of my guests. So what were some standout moments, you know, in your childhood where you were like outdoor rec, whatever <laughs> this is, I need more of it. Well, that's, that's actually the irony. So, so maybe two different things, Ben, is that even though I have de- dedicated my career to working in outdoor recreation, I don't think I ever thought I was going to be in outdoor recreation. So hmm. I love being outdoors and I loved some of those experiences, the ones that come to mind or father-daughter camp at a, a, at a Girl Scout camp. Actually, I just posted a picture about it with um, my best friend growing up. And I think being like the swamp queen, you know, I think that was a big deal to get all messy <laughs> and you had to go underneath the, the water. Uh, like you had to walk through a swamp and it was just this big, you know, passage uh, of time. I remember there was a tornado that came through when I was at that Girl Scout camp and walking through the night and the police officers were trying to get us into the tornado shelter. And that seemed to be a very exciting time as a young person. You know, and just, I don't know, jumping off the high dive in the lake or at the camp we spoke about, you know, the mysteries of camp, right? Old Man Barlow and how he would come and, and cover you with seaweed if you touched his grave, which was on the other side of the lake. Just all those big uh... adventures, right? But those were those were kind of some of those funny experiences. But, but really, Ben, the formative experiences that after I went off to school and was a, an athlete in college... I actually spent my summers as a whitewater rafting guide up in Glacier National Park. Mm. And really, I bring that up. That was kind of maybe a a turning point for me is that I didn't recognize that you actually could work in this space. I I just thought that it was something that was a nice complement to my studies and to my Mm. athletic pursuits was I had a chance to just to be outside in, in nature. It was an environment a literal environment where I wasn't being judged by my achievements or by successes. Mm. I could really be present, which is something that I have struggled with all my life is being present uh, when mm. I'm always trying to do the next thing. And so to answer your question, I think that's the magic and the power of nature for me is that it's offered me something that I couldn't achieve, I but I could experience by just being in it. Hmm. This has been my experience is that I, I did fall ball and a little bit of soccer and and for who I was as a person, it just didn't mesh. You know, I was a musician, I played violin, I was a Boy Scout. And so sort of the collaborative space, you know, became much more enjoyable to me because it wasn't about competing, right? Sort of going back to what you were saying, do you find that outdoor space creates room for non-judgment? And if so, how? How can people get into that? How have you experienced that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I appreciate you sharing kind of the music or other group centered things. I, I too um, was a musician in school and I think have been in a lot of those group environments where you had to be a part of something bigger to accomplish something, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's been something I've had the the fortune of doing in, in most of my pursuits of knowing that I just could contribute to something greater. But I liked your question about judgment. I think really what I find 
in natural or wild spaces or inviting people to be in them is a chance for reflection and a chance for just the the sheer force and magnitude of nature, how humbling it is. And for someone like me who has ego and is driven and is achievement centric to recognize that I can't outwork mother nature, but I have a chance just to see the power. And that power could be right now, um, my eyes are watching this big pine tree in my backyard and, and the, the needles are dancing in the wind, you know, and, and I can't control that. And mm. when I'm out hiking um, and looking at the mountain peaks, just the sense of scale, I think mm. is just something that really grounds people. And, and I think that everyone should have that opportunity. Uh, it doesn't always have to be off those far remote places, but a chance just to realize that we are part of something bigger and um, mm. that we leave a mark. So I think that the judgment comes onto ourself when we're outside for me in a positive way, less judgmental about how I am in an urban environment and what I'm competing against deadlines, people, right. finances, pressures, right. but judgment on, am I, am I doing the right things? Am I making the right decisions? Am I walking this path? Am I leaving a trace? Yeah. Um, will everyone else have the chance to experience this beautiful space like I am? Yeah. That, that for me is a question a lot of times that comes up is that I'm watching the, you know, tree sway in the wind or the sunset and I go, whoa, like, am I present to this moment? And then, you know, you sort of zoom out and you're like, oh, wow, I'm on a rock flying through space and this is incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. Moving back to a little bit of your professional journey, you said you didn't always know you wanted to do outdoor recreation. Was there another career path that you saw? And if it wasn't outdoor rec, when did outdoor rec sort of start taking over and becoming more front and center for you? Yes. Well, I was going to be an FBI agent. That was what I wanted to do and uh, probably was motivated by Silence of the Lambs and uh, watching that for <laughs> a time. But I, I thought that'd be really cool as an athlete um, and someone who really liked likes problem solving. I think that that thought that was where I thought I was going to be headed. Mm. Um and I, I say it jokingly, but I, I do think that's where I thought I was going to be doing in high school. So I thought maybe a career in law was going to be mm -hmm. the direction. Um, mm -hmm. I did change colleges uh, my first semester and left Boston College to the University of Michigan. And when I got to Michigan, I found out about a school of natural resources and environment. So actually, it's a separate college inside the mm -hmm. university. Wow. So while I was in that school of natural resources and environment, I started to really think about environmental law. I thought that would be maybe the space that I would be. And that's what mm -hmm. I was uh, intending to pursue until I became um, the whitewater rafting guide and was out there uh, in the summers and just was thinking like, well, this is a, this is a pretty neat experience, a chance to recreate in this way. And then I'll just, I guess I'll just fast forward to right at the end of school. I had um aspirations, uh, Olympic aspirations for my sport and, mm. uh, was headed maybe that direction until an injury that stopped that. And so right as I was having that critical moment, I went to go see one of my mentors who I had worked with at the university on a, a reduction of sustainability analysis of the athletic department. Hmm. And he presented the position that was my first job, uh, which was the director of uh, outdoor adventures at the University of Michigan. And he said, I think you might want to consider this job. And I said, well, I, you can't have jobs in recreation. That doesn't, 
that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, and so he, he um, like a good mentor always does, just said, well, why don't you be curious about this and, and check it out? Mm-hmm. And so it really was, I don't know, would you call it happenstance or fate or just an opportunity to, to be with someone who thought I could contribute in that way. And so that's literally how I found out that you could work in outdoor recreation or work in recreation at all. Love it. That's yeah. awesome. Now, time's gone by. You've continued to work up the ladder. At this point, you're writing a book. The Outdoor Leader, Resilience, Integrity, and Adventure. What can people expect when they purchase and read this? This is, this is a great question, Ben. Um, you know, I, I'm actually really excited about the book. It'll be coming out, like you mentioned, um, on March 1st. And, um, you know, just a little context for it, and I will answer your question, is that um, I remember this book. There was a book written by John Graham uh, through Mountaineers, who's the publisher, uh, called Outdoor Leadership. And I can remember the blue cover and two people on it helping across a boulder. And it's really one of the first books I read when I started that job at Michigan. And it talked about the skills in the leadership identity for an outdoor leader. So Mountaineers had uh, reached out to me and asked me if I would re- if I would consider from my guiding experience and from being an executive director of a national nonprofit, if I would reimagine this work. So that's where the conversation started uh, in wow. the book. And, um, and then it, it took a little turn of the course for it to become the outdoor leaders it stands now. So what people can expect is it's really a combination of my backcountry mishaps and all the mistakes I've made, not all of them. There's, there's many, there'd be volumes <laughs> uh, in that case, but I'm, I'm a big fan of making mistakes um, but maybe the learnings that you can gain from mistake making, um, coupled with my leadership and maybe C-suite perspective of running a national organization or being in a position of power in um, kind of an urban or, or a leadership setting. Yeah. So kind of taking some of those concepts like conflict resolution, communication, decision making, um, risk management, and giving stories from myself and over 20 contributing leaders in the outdoor industry uh, many people that you probably would recognize their names and, and some of their lessons, some of their learnings interwoven in the chapters. Each chapter ends with some takeaways that people can reflect upon. So as we go through one of the concepts, um, the goal is that people would just take a step back and think about how am I doing that or or how am I in that hmm. present moment or how does my leadership relate to that? Hmm. I love it. Now, there's a, a short segment of your book on your website, leadingvaliantly.com. I looked through it. I think it's super good. It's the difference between resilience and toughing it out or yes. what, what's the terminology there? Yeah. Yeah. Toughness and, and, and resilience. So I think yeah. that those words can sometimes be used interchangeably. But for me, you know, I think about resilience and grit is something that is like a fortitude or strength that comes from within, from knowing that I can endure something based on the skills or learned experiences I've had before. So I know uh, that I'm capable of navigating a challenging time. Whereas I think about toughness is more of just a, a, a pure strength to force through something that even, even if it's not maybe the right thing to force through. So mm. more of, I think I even give the example of walking with a blister might be being tough, mm-hmm. um, but having sore feet from a long day, you know, if you've got proper foot systems and you've been managing your feet and it's just, you know, you happen to have not walked as long in those boots as you would have liked. That mm. that maybe is more being resilient. I know I can do this. I know I'm going to get to the end and take this break. Whereas toughness might be putting yourself or others at jeopardy 
And so I wanted to kind of draw that, that combination there. Yeah. It, it seems to me like resilience is sort of a positive aspect of leadership, whereas perhaps toughness is sort of a compensation for lack of preparation or, or what have you. I do like that, Ben. And I think, I think especially toughness, um, I want to stay away from that because I think that's been one of the many missteps that I've made. And I think others do make in this industry of implying that to be a good outdoor leader, you need to be the toughest, the strongest, the fastest, the whatever ist. I'll be the first to say that I now know that that's not true. You know, that that's the strongest leaders, the best leaders are often the ones in the back, the quiet leaders who are doing the work, are leading by example, who are they probably endured more things, but have that grit to go through and can't out muscle it. And so I just really wanted to, to draw that attention because I think we've done a disservice by portraying leaders as always being strong and formidable as the goal. And I don't think that's the goal. I think mm. the goal would be more vulnerable and open um, yeah. in leadership. And, and you have to be resilient to be vulnerable. You have to, you have to be willing to take the knocks and learn from it and stand back up again. Mm. That's awesome. What would be some primary skills and attitudes that you would recommend listeners develop within their outdoor leadership? Yeah. Well, if we're sticking along this line, I would say learn how to fail. Mm. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to try. And I, I, I think that a leader today needs to learn to be okay with trying and not having a guaranteed outcome learning that they might put their best effort forward and not make it, not achieve, not do whatever the thing is that they wanted to. And what I see from my lens is a fear of even trying or starting something versus just going for it. And, and so I think if a good thing that people need to consider is what are people's comfort with failure? And I would encourage people to fail and fail again and fail one more time um, it's not the failure. It's um, it's it's the not getting up. You know, is mm. is really the challenge as, as the adage goes. So I think that's something that I would really encourage people. And it's easy, of course, to say from my lens now, right? I, I'm mm. um, I've I've walked the path a little longer than maybe you or maybe some of the listeners. So I don't want to age myself, but I would say I, I get it. I understand why we don't want to have failure when we're I don't want to say young when we have a novice mindset and we're trying something new, but you have to fail in order to learn. And so I, I really would embrace that. Do you find that there are any, any resources or attitudes that can assist someone who might be scared to fail? You know, things that come up for me would be like community, my, my schedule. I make sure that I post every Saturday, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> all right, get something on the table. Like just put it out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, what what resources can people avail themselves of if they're just starting out into failure? Yeah, I love how you, I love how you led with um, community. You know, I think having uh, relationships um, are are so critical, and so community could be one or many, but someone who that you who can catch your fall and support you, but not solve that problem, but walk alongside you. You know, as as you have that failure and be open to it. I think also creating time for yourself to reflect upon failure, right? Failing just to fail isn't, isn't the answer that I'm suggesting here, but failure mm. to, to create that space and say, what have I learned from it? So are we creating intentional space to pause, you know, be it um, meditation or journaling or an accountability partner to talk about, you know, what, what you're trying. 
I think that it also comes to goal setting. So I think that would, I'd also put that there with failure. I think that people can work on goal setting and there's tons of resources for this, right? You know, online books, uh, probably podcasts and, and other tools where people can learn about the process of goal setting um, in order to set a goal. You'll probably have failures along that way, <laughs> but not setting the goal would be a failure right. in itself, right? right. So, I think there's, um, you're, you know, maybe you're laughing at the irony of it all, but I think, I you know, you won't fail if you don't set that goal. But yeah. if you don't post every Saturday or if I don't challenge myself to talk about the book or leading yeah. valiantly in that point, then, I, then I'm doing a disservice and I'm not sharing that. And I need yeah. to get out of my own head and my own, my own imposter syndrome in that way. Totally. Yeah, I, I was laughing at the idea that even in learning how to set goals, I will make mistakes and go too lofty or too low or, but then be okay with that process. I don't know if I had shared with you, Ben, yet um, that I um, am currently coming back from a recent surgery that I had just, well, I think like 106 days ago, I had Mm. surgery um, on my leg and everything is, is going well. But of course, as someone who wants to recover fast and is very competitive and athletic, it's not going as fast as I would like it to go. So even in goal setting um, of where I want to be and what uh, physical achievements I want to be able to do at this point, I can set the goals and I'm not achieving them because my I'm not able to do certain activities quite yet, but that's not a failure in that sense because I'm still setting the goals to mm-hmm. do the walk or to, to be able to jump or run again. I might, you know, I wanted to be able to do that on February 1st, but that goal might be March 1st or April 1st. Right. And so I think that's, that's that process of it, it is okay to set goals and not achieve them. Mm-hmm. Then, then we can, I'm not changing the goal. I'm just readjusting the timeline to get there. And I think totally. that's, I think that's a healthy thing. And I think that's what yeah, part of that, that comes back to. And I, I think that's an aspect of leadership, right? Is to assess the situation and not just tough it out and go, no, February 1st, I am. You know, going yes. like, all right, let's evaluate what's going on. Take a moment. When you're, when you're planning a trip or leading a group, and you've done this, Ben, right? You can, you can look at the topographic maps and you can, you can plan the trek. But when you're out there and it's day 14 and you're supposed to be at a certain spot, but because of the snow melt, the water has come up and you can't cross that place. Like it's a fool's errand to, to do that work, to get to that, that campsite. You're putting your, your group mm-hmm. at risk and it is a mm-hmm. failure of leadership if you don't reevaluate at that spot. So we have all these opportunities that in nature invites us to reevaluate where we are and where we're going and Mm -hmm. and to readjust our course to course, correct. And that's not failure. Totally. I I find that a lot of times just within myself, I, I sort of envision the hypothetical version of me that is successful in this way. They're achieving their goals. They're this, that, the other. And so no matter where I am, that hypothetical best self is sort of on the other side of the river mocking me going, you know, Oh, you can't get your people across. Have you found that there are practices for you that help you tune that voice out or listen to another voice within yourself or within your community? Hmm, That's a great question. Um, Oh, the answer is certainly yes. And, and I think that, um, that those voices um, are in all of our heads at some point, the, the, the doubter and um, the one that says that you are not enough and learning how to stop that, learning how to quiet 
I think it, I'll just call it maybe ego or and also um, insecurity at the same time. I think those can hold the same space. Our mm. ego wants to get across and prove that we can do this, mm. and our insecurity of am I if I failed as a leader, um, and somehow being able to shed both of those and think about what do I need to do right now, and and who who am I in this space? What does this group need? That's maybe the biggest way that I've. I've been able to move forward. And, and to answer your question specifically, when I think about those things for me, when I start to think about me, I know that I'm off course. I need to think about other people first. Mm. And when I can refocus on what are the needs of the group, then I think that's where my leadership truly comes forward. I mm. think when I start to become too nervous that I'm not enough, I haven't done well, what are people going to say? Mm. Um, what didn't I do right? Um that that is a negative spiral, but if I can refocus on, is my group safe? Mm. Do people have what they need? Have I been clear and candid and kind? Um, do we do we need to readjust expectations? Do I need to feel the needs of the group? Then together, I'll be able to lead them to where they need to go. Hmm, that's great. Do how does that balance? You're saying when I think about myself, I imagine that you're saying when I think about my reputation how do you sort of balance that with self-care or something along those lines? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good call out. You know, I think I just was implying you talked about those voices, right. To got to get across that river or that, that doubt. Like when we think about me, like what are, what is the group thinking about me or have I failed mm. them as a leader? Right. It's, mm. it's that sort of, that's, that's the self I was referring to totally. just that, that insecurity voice or that um, lack of self, worth based on what other people are going to imply right and that is that is just really wired into us i think that's just how human nature is is wired until we can learn to overcome those things to your point on self-care i think that's a whole different conversation right like i think that is part of you know if if i'm not in a spot if i haven't taken self-care then i shouldn't be leading that group if i've if i've not taken care if i'm slowing down the group in whatever way, physically or emotionally or otherwise, if my needs are eclipsing the needs of the group because I haven't done self-care, I think that's also another valuable lesson for any leader to learn that, you know, I need to be, as my dad would always say, warm and dry and hydrated, you know, in order to, to lead, right? If, yeah, if I, totally. can't, I can't help anyone else if I, that's not being selfish, mm-hmm. but I can do those things in a, non-selfish way, right? If I make sure I get rest at night, if I drink water throughout the day, if I make sure that I am eating throughout the day, then my needs don't come in front of people. I've been taking self-care along the path. And I think that that is a a really unique intersection. I'm so glad, Ben, that you called that out because I think that's, that is, um, I can't perform wilderness first aid or first responder on someone if I'm getting cold and wet. If I don't have my rain jacket on, me, you know, holding C-spine on someone or trying to bandage a wound as I get hypothermic is a disservice. And that's not being selfish for me to stop and to make sure that my needs are met so mm. I can help that person out. Um, but I also have to have, make sure that my rain jacket's at the top of my pack. Like yeah. that's, that, that was, that's part of that whole cycle. What sort of guidelines do you put on yourself? to make sure that you're not letting the pendulum swing too far one way or the other when you do recognize a failing or a shortcoming within yourself? 
I uh, usually use sarcasm and humor um, <laughs> is where I like to start when I when I get into those predicaments. But but honestly, Ben, I don't think sometimes I can see them when I'm in the moment. And 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 so I think the experience, maybe that expedition, it plays out that way. But again, the learning maybe comes afterwards and the chance to really think mm. if I'm having um, a disconnect with my co-leader, I, I probably can't change course you know, on day 21 of an expedition, it, mm. it, the, the, the ship has left, uh, you know, we're already out to sea. Um, not saying that I, I can't, you know, try to be cordial for the remainder of the, of the expedition, but totally. something has gone awry. And what I can do though, is I can come back and think about how did I contribute to that? And, and so for my next experience, maybe it is taking more time to explain leadership styles, or maybe, talking about expectations or maybe talking about fears or anxiety and trying to prevent those things. So I think rather than compensating in real time, my tact has been to think about what went well and what didn't go well and Mm. how can I improve upon that? Mm. I also am a pretty big fan of knowing what you don't know. And, um, and I recognize, even though I enjoy all outdoor pursuits, I'm kind of a master of none. Um, You know, I, I, like to, to do all of the things, but I, if I, I can build an anchor and I can climb, but if I haven't done it in a long time, I don't mind outsourcing that or deferring to my partner's expertise and leveraging something that I'm stronger at. I don't need to be the best at everything uh, to be a leader. You know, mm-hmm. part of leadership is also supporting my colleague in, in trying to not outdo them, I think in some ways. So I think that's, that's where I would probably land on that is just knowing mm-hmm what I can do and knowing what I can't do as well. Um, and as I've aged, um, I actually look to think about where can I amplify my strengths rather than to shore up my shortcomings. And that's actually something I think I read in Harvard business review, hmm. maybe 20 years ago is it's, you know, I'll give you an example, math and analytical things are not maybe my strong suit. It's just not something I enjoy. I'm much more of a visionary personality. So rather than go back and revisit calculus or try to like know how to do, you know, a quadratic right. equation or whatever right. it is, or, or do the, um, you know, the measurements for the food partitioning, why not give that to my co-lead who might be stronger in that? And I actually have pretty strong emotional intelligence and really can connect well with people. And maybe I can identify the participants who might have some fears who aren't voicing them, but I can sense that and I can work towards listening supporting them, making sure that their needs are met. And, mm. and so amplifying my strengths rather than trying to shore up all of those weaknesses. Totally. Going back to knowing what you don't know, I had an old coworker who would say, experience is what you get the moment after you needed it. I love it. <laughs> now like you're talking to, oh, excuse me. What were you saying there? No, I said, I like that. I almost have to get my pencil out to write that down. I, I like, uh, I like those phrases, right? Wonderful. Wonderful. Now you're, you're talking about building out sort of your skill set, building on what you have, focusing on strengthening what, you know, is not totally there, but not overly focusing on quadratic formulas. What are your top interpersonal skills that you would recommend listeners really improve? You know, I, I'm going to just start with communication. So I think communication is is just paramount to the success of every relationship, every project, every expedition, both front country or back, back country. So I think the ability to communicate and then inside of that, I would put listening first, 
and I would put conflict resolution second. And conflict resolution, I think, is something that is not to be prevented and, and not to be avoided, but to mm. learn how to navigate conflict and work to resolution is an uh, interpersonal skill that I think will take people um, very far. Yes. I think my second interpersonal, I guess that, that was probably, you can I call it one or three inside that, that quick answer there. But the second, you know, I think thing that I think about for interpersonal relationships, the word, the word that, that popped up was gratitude. And, and I think that I don't necessarily know if that is an interpersonal skill as much as um, a mindset or mindfulness Hmm. um, when we think about things where, where I don't know if the word would be gratitude or humility or demonstrated appreciation. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Maybe we'll just, we'll we'll go, we'll go with that. (laughs) Uh, I think that captures the essence of, of what I was trying to say. And I, and I think that now more than ever, that is so critical, right? Mm. To, to really help people see and share. I see you. I see your efforts. Mm. I may or may not appreciate how you're delivering X, Y, or Z or where you're coming from, but I recognize that you have your lived experience or your perspective. And I'm going to try to embrace that and not judge. And mm. I think that that is um, a skill set that we all can work on and, and is an interpersonal thing that we all can be more attentive to. Mm. Yeah, the feedback is love, but you have to come from a space of true love, right? In order mm. to, to give that, right? Or else it's just um, unsolicited criticism. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, you know, now that we're talking about this and opening up a little bit more and, and thinking about the interpersonal um, attributes, I I do think back, and I believe I'd probably talk about it in the book, but one of my most formative mentors uh, was a basketball coach, and he talked about the five C's. And I actually wrote, I think, one of my college entrance essays on, on this. Um, and the five C's are confidence, commitment, courage, concentration and composure. And I think about the five C's in a lot of aspects, if not every aspect of my life, right? So, you know, confidence and and all the things that go behind that building skills, knowing Mm -hmm. what I know or what I don't know, Um, you know, commitment and commitment to, to see something through, to be held accountable to, to, we talked about goal setting. I'm I'm going to do this. And this is what the steps I'm going to take about, you know, Mm. Um, courage, you know, to try something to fail and, mm. and to have that uh, sense of, of not fear of failure, but just I'm going to try something and, and that courage that takes takes a sense to get there. Concentration, you know, you have to have that focus and, and in the time or space or we even talked earlier today about being present um, in composure, right? So when things go a little sideways, um, mm. you know, how to keep your composure when everyone else is losing theirs. I think I think those five C's for me are those skills that uh, have carried me through, you know, relationships and teams and school and sports and outdoor pursuits. If I can hold on to those things and and hold them to myself, then maybe I can amplify them for others. Totally. And you know, thinking about composure, one thing that stood out to me in that is it's not just composure when things go sideways, but when things go really, really well. Can you hold on to your composure there? I love, they all build on one another. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Love it.
Now you're talking about uh, your mentor. Is there anyone that stands out to you as a mentor uh, that has inspired you to push yourself further than you thought you could go? Mm. You know, I, I, um, I have a lot of mentors, I guess I'll just say with that. So I, I would, I, I mean, I've mentioned mentors a couple of times on this and I'm a big fan of, of seeking people, asking them for their mentorship in, in entering in that partnership. I think a mentor mentee partnership is really important. Mm. And I think that the mentee in the cases where I've had a mentor, you know, I have an obligation, um, to ask them, right. To, to, work on those things and be open to their feedback and seek their guidance. So um, I, I don't have, I, I don't want to rattle off, you know, a whole list of names, but I definitely seek mentors in every aspect of my life, you know, personal and professional. Um, when I set a goal, I like to find people who are smarter, wiser, more accomplished than I am in things. And then I like to see if I can't learn from them and, and give to that relationship. And at the same time, I also find myself wanting to be a mentor to people and, and like to um, try to support those who are, I don't want to say coming behind me, but wanting to follow or, or ask for support and try to guide them in that, mm-hmm. um, but not lead them. You know, that's that's their road to say where they want to go and, and do it. But I'm not avoiding your question, but I definitely have <laughs> uh, mentors that are, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally, I, I can laugh and I can think about you know, nonprofit leadership. Okay. I have, I have mentors in that space or mm-hmm. in outdoor pursuits. I have mentors there, you know, writing friends, uh, people who athletic friends, um, just I'm always curious to, to involve myself with someone or something greater and, and just learn from them. Hmm. As you've worked as a executive coach, I imagine is that sort of face-to-face or, or group lectures? Yeah. I think executive coaching is really a chance to help someone unlock something that they know within themselves, but they just are unable to navigate um, without a a sounding or a coach partner, right? It it really is that relationship. So in the executive coaching I've done really centered on leadership would be a person who is responsible for leading a group or a team, a company or a nonprofit, and they're faced with leadership challenges. And so when we work together, we talk about what um, and how they best want to use their time and discuss what the barrier might be. It might be uh, communication. It might be conflict. It might be uh, someone holding someone accountable. It might be navigating change. It might be layoffs. It might be something, you, you name it. Hmm. Um, really, my job is to help that leader tap into their skill sets. They, they probably already know the answer, um, but it's a chance for them to run it through someone um, mm-hmm. to kind of get down to the why and then to be able to apply that leadership back. And then I get to hold them accountable for the next time to see how they, how they did and what they learned from it. Love it. What kind of shift has that been to go from sort of face-to-face or Zoom or, or conference-based education to writing a book and sort of passing that on without being able to have that back and forth with the people who are learning from you? Yeah, it's it's really been wild, right, to think about the stories that are in the book and, and those lessons. And so really, I just had the opportunity to, to share all these vignettes from, again, I, there's more, more there's more than just the mistakes in, inside the book, but just learnings and, and reflections upon many different parts of my journey and to have some writers really clean it up and make it <laughs> readable and, and, and transport the message. But to not be a lecture, right? I think no one, no one cares to. My my kids would be the first to tell you. you know, no one, 
No one cares to be lectured. Ideally coming alongside someone and saying, have you thought about this? Or um, this happened to me, you know, and I, I can share Ben. I recently lost both my parents last year um, and, and asking my dad, I feel a little emotional, but it's, it's all good. Mm. But I told him I was asked to write this book. He said, um, the book should be called uh, Where I Went Wrong. And he said <laughs> that that would, be, that would be a well-read book because no one wants to hear where you went right. They want to hear where you went wrong. And oh, I think that's wow. just a, a great, great gift. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's really good. So, so I think about that. I think about hearing my dad's voice. And then I, I hear, I think about people reading my words um, in this book and thinking, ah, you know, like I would have done it differently, which is great if someone would have done it differently. Um, it's not what I did at that moment, um, but ideally they could, they could read through it and think, huh, you know, this is one way that someone tried it. This is the way I might be able to approach it as well. So less luxury and more an invitation to explore leadership. Mm, love it. Love it. So outdoor leaders are going to be reading this what are some ways that they can contribute to advancing the profession of outdoor leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, again, a big theme would be giving back, you know, and I think we can give back in so many different ways, but really it's to be engaged. And so I think the thing that I would implore an outdoor professional or someone who is curious about that is to think about ways that they don't just take from the industry or profession. You know, what do I, what do I need to have? Don't just chase down, you know, degrees or certifications or things like that, but what can I give, you know, how can I volunteer, you know, with an organization? How can I participate in my local community? How can I share my skills with someone else? How can I uh, engage in a, a survey that someone's asking or a research that someone's doing? So I, I think that, that thinking about not necessarily what do, what can I get from this position, but what can I give to the profession is really one of the secret sauces that's going to help us raise this industry mm. and be able to impact more people's lives and, and to be actively engaged. Um, mm. I, I would encourage people to stay active as well. And I don't necessarily mean just physically active, uh, which I do think that that is a good thing to do, but I, I just not becoming complacent. And I actually was thinking about this. I was journaling about this this morning, the difference between being complacent and being consistent. And if we let ourselves get complacent as we get more proficient in things. So if you've acquired a leadership position, if you are a director of X or you've working for company Y, if that's your terminus, um, you'll no longer continue to grow and you won't allow people around you to grow or those that follow you to grow. So be active. Mm. You know, what other classes could you take? What other books could you read? What podcasts can you listen to? Who can you reach out to and invite to come into your space to go to that meeting or that, hey, I think you'd be great at this conference or um, invite someone along. Don't don't wait to be asked, you know, do the asking. That's awesome. I love that. Well, um, we're kind of winding down. We're moving to our last couple of questions. Is there a moment that stands out to you where you knew working at outdoor recreation was, would you call it a calling? Would it be a destiny? Would it be a choice? What, where do you go there? Oh, that's, that's a great thing. Um, yeah, I, I stumble over this question and I welcome it because I, I think that maybe the best answer I could give you is that I never expected to be where I am now or have worked in this industry, but I couldn't be more thankful. And so I think for those who 
are wanting to do this type of work and they feel like there is a set path, I would like to be the first to say there isn't one. There is no right way to navigate the space and there's no wrong way to navigate the space. But I really think that my aha then was that I have been given um, just so much privilege and opportunity to be a leader, I think, in athletics and in many different spaces. And I was able to take that athleticism and apply it in an industry that requires group and dynamic work. And so I almost felt feel like my athletic past has brought me to this space of creating teams, creating, working for a nonprofit or leading a coalition or being a part of something that I may never benefit from, but maybe my kids will or someone else will trying to get more people outdoors that there is no, you don't win at that at, at the end of the day. But I feel like I've had a chance to carry some of that water along the path. And, and I think that truly is my aha is that I can lead in a space that um, needs many more leaders. And I'm just, I've just been given, I've been handed something to carry for a little bit hmm. and, and I'm carrying it to the best of my ability. And, and that's what the calling is for me. I, I, I don't know how to best word it. It, it really wasn't a, a one singular thing, but I, I can tell you, you know, the last expedition I was on and, and when I'm in the field with people and I see that moment of realization where they've done something they didn't think they could otherwise do, or they've overcome a fear or they've navigated something or they just are at peace. I, I just, there's no words that can describe that fulfillment mm. as a career and, and you can't scale it. I think that's the beauty of it is it's so precious and so fragile and it's so, it's so beautiful. And to each person, it's so different each time, you know, it, it might be their first time they've traveled alone. It might be the time they've, I don't know, they've, they've carried a pack or they've paddled or, or even that they just were away from technology, whatever their story is, that is for them. Mm. But that I had a chance to be a part of their story, I think is just, just beautiful. That's awesome. Well, you are carrying the responsibility well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank that, you. And even just this short time that we've been together, like the, the energy that you exude, the confidence, the commitment, the, I can't say all the other C's, but uh, <laughs> I will go back and memorize them. Um, but yeah, there, there is definitely a light that you have. Uh, and I'm super duper excited to pre-order and read your book. It's going to be very, very enlightening for me. What advice would you give your past self when you were just starting out knowing what you know now? Uh, gosh, you know, this is, a, you probably even, you probably even prepped me for this question and I, <laughs> and I'm not even ready for it. Uh, I, you know, I probably have already answered it, but I'll, I'll say it again. I think the recognition that there is no singular path as you navigate your career um, is one I wish I could have embraced earlier on. And, mm -hmm. and I mean that from even sharing that I thought I was going to be going, you know, jokingly from FBI or, or environmental lawyer um, to where I am today. I just, I think you're told like, you know, you finish school and then you have this other thing to do or get this card or go to this internship or whatever, whatever story you've been told. I think there's a learning that when you start to write your own story versus the one that you've been listening to, I wish I could have tapped into that earlier in my life. Mm. I got there, but 
I wish I could have made, I I wish I could have authored my own book a little earlier on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean that literally of the book, which (laughs) sounds funny now, but um, I think when I was able to release what others, and I think everyone's had good intentions, but Mm -hmm. I just, that's where I think you come into your full self and you can start to say, I want to try this, or this is what's important to me. um, Then I think that, that your life really starts. It's awesome. That's awesome. I remember graduating from college and it, it felt like life vertigo, you know, because your whole life it's, you know, four years of this, a in summer internship of that, two years of this, and then you graduate or you, you know, wh- whatever it may be, you don't go to college. There, there's some point in your life where you look out and you go, oh, this is, this is a long time. So I, I totally agree. Once you can start recognizing that you are responsible for your own life, then things get a little bit more fun and a little scarier and, uh, you know, definitely enjoyable. And Yeah. And you also, under, you, you start to hear that the stories that maybe you've told yourself aren't really true, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the doubts or the fears that we've talked about before, or mm-hmm. even the opportunities, there's ones that you get to create that might not be what friends or family or um, that you tell yourself. And I, I also do really like that you pointed out, you know, not everyone's path is that, school. And, and I think that's something also to rewrite in this outdoor space. It's um, that's a very much of a, uh, an old structures that people who look and have backgrounds like mine have benefited from and others haven't. And so to rewrite this narrative is to say, wherever you are, and if you want to be in the outdoors, um, there is space and in, in how people come into it is going to be different. And there's just so much value to that as well. And, um, you know, for, for me to listen more and, and try to amplify other people and ways to go about outdoor work is, is pretty incredible. I mean, what an opportunity to, to, to reach even more people um, mm. and, and not do it the way that maybe I thought you had to do it, you know? Totally. All right. Well, um, if you haven't already pre-ordered Jeanette Stosky's book, definitely go to www.leadingvaliantly.com and pre-order Jeanette's book. It's called the outdoor leader resilience, integrity, and adventure. Uh, I cannot wait to grab it. And uh, before you go, is there a place that listeners can find and support and get connected to you? Yeah, you know, I think that's actually the website that you just that you just said. So I'll just say it one more time. So it's leadingvaliantly.com and uh, valiantly is, I'll just spell it out. So L-E-A-D-I-N-G-V-A-L-I-A-N-T-L-Y.com. And uh, that or also Mountaineers books uh, will have the link there and you can get back to me. Perfect. Well, I just want to express my gratitude, demonstrate my appreciation. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope that it's been, I mean, half as fun for you as it has been for me. Yeah, what a pleasure, Ben. Well, again, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out. It's been great to speak with you and I look forward to following your success and listening to the podcast and many others um, as we continue along. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this information enlightening or encouraging for your journey in outdoor recreation, make sure to subscribe and consider sharing this episode with a friend. Please take some time to write a review of the show. It really does make a difference, and I'd love to hear what you think. You can always listen on Spotify or find me on Substack by searching Between the Guidelines. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like me to cover, feel free to email me at betweentheguidelines at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. And remember, they're just guidelines.